he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. friends, and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotta. I'm here as I am every week with my cohort in crime, Alex Apostolides. What's up, girl? Hey. Happy right? Monday. I'm doing great. Um, I We, we have so, uh, some really great guests today, but I just have to throw this in really quick. When we're done here, I'm heading up to SDSU to check out the student living apartment for my daughter who'll be attending in the fall. Congratulations. I know. She's going to live in a dorm. That's great. Uh, Actually, student housing, not a dorm. Oh, student housing. Yeah. A little swankier. Well, the the three of us here are probably glad we're not living in student housing. I have two of my cohort with me today from the master's program in meeting and event management, Lauren DeMol and Andrew Elkins. Lauren, hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming along. Thank you. Uh, forgive the fact that I get a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, crazy during this <laughs> podcast. So if I feel sound a little crazy, apologies. That won't surprise me at all. No, shouldn't. Tell us what it is you do. I work for Agco Corporation. So we are a farm equipment manufacturer. So we make tractors, combines, sprayers, planters, anything that a farmer may use, everything from uh, tearing up their ground to storing their you know, seed and grain and all that once it's been harvested. I live and work in Atlanta. I've been here my whole life, and I've been in the meeting and event industry for now uh, 21, 22 years um, on every kind of realm of um, agency work to large corporate here in Atlanta, um, including now with Agco, which is a $11 billion company I'd never heard of. <laughs> right. Exactly. And We've I- all heard of our competitor, which we won't name here. Right. But- um, but yeah, we are a company of brands. So if you work in ag, you've heard of our brands, um, but not the parent company like like our competitor. But, you know, um, there have been a lot of fascinating things that we've learned just from your posts about ADCO. Uh, so there's more to talk about, honestly. Certainly. Yeah, yeah I, I've 11, certainly learned a lot in the last 10 years. I've had 11 billion. Who knew? God. Andrew, where are you from? Uh, well, I'm originally from uh, New Jersey. Uh, but now I live here in California. I wouldn't share that too often if I were you. <laughs> oh, I, Aww. why would you say Because I'm from, my parents are from Jersey. That's the only reason why I say it. Because <laughs> you can. I, I know Jersey. <laughs> uh, well, I, I live here in California. Uh, I'm the event and marketing manager at the uh, California State University Center on Disabilities. And we run the annual uh, assistive technology conference for the university which basically uh, showcases all the latest uh, innovative technology to make a level playing field for people with disabilities, to make a more inclusive world. Could we start by talking about your audiences a bit and understanding, because you both have very interesting uh, audiences. Uh, Andrew, obviously you deal with ADA, um, you know, constantly in your meetings and your audience is uh, one with disabilities. 
So I assume that adds another layer of complexity to your planning. You want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we have a very broad uh, attendee base for our conference because not only is it actually end users, um, so that's people with um, all different types of disabilities because we cover a broad spectrum. Not that we're not a specific conference because um, we're focused on the assistive technology, which can help multiple disabilities. But we also have educators, researchers, um, the companies that are leading the development and technology for that. Um, so we have both, um, you know, uh, like I said, a very wide range of attendee base. So having to add the complexity in of obviously having the services and supports that every event should have, but even more so because we are the, you know, the largest of, uh, of our kind when it comes to this kind of conference, you know, we're, we're leading the way in that regard. So we have to lead by example. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and is it hard to find spaces that understand the audience and understand the need to accommodate the audience? Venues, absolutely. Uh, when, we're, when we've been looking at venues, um, for us, uh, it is extremely important layout because we have a significant number of blind and low vision attendees that, are, that come to our conference. So for us, number one, find a layout that is easy, easily maneuverable and, and gives them the ability to memorize the location mm. and that we stay put for a number of years so that they retain that information. Mm. So we, we put ourselves into a long-term contract situation. And currently we're at the Anaheim Marriott. Prior to that, we were in I San Diego, well. um, which was the uh, Manchester Grand Hyatt, which was very challenging for us, even though we had an, I think, eight to 10 year contract there because of all the multiple levels the Anaheim Marriott, we're all on the lobby level. So it makes it very easy to maneuver for our attendees. Very interesting. And Lauren, I was, I feel like an idiot saying this, but I was blown away by the fact that you had to coordinate international meetings. Uh, I didn't think of ADCO as an international brand. Stupid of me, because when no. you think about it, of course, uh, equipment is needed in other places than in America. So you would have clients there, but talk to us about your audience, if you would, who are they primarily, who comes to the show? Sure. I manage all of our North America events. There is a counterpart for my role in South America, Europe, and Asia as well. Uh, so my events are North American, uh, attendee base. So Canadian U S attendees. So those events do happen in the U S, um, your average farm show dealer meetings, uh, training events, incentive trips, et cetera. But we also do take that same audience of dealers and customers to Europe, uh, South America, et cetera, to see our factories, to attend other shows that might be hosted uh, abroad where our attendees might want to experience those things. We spend a lot of time in Europe. We have factories in Germany and Italy. Uh, we're headed to Brazil this summer with our board of directors to see some farms and factories in Brazil. And we've done the same for uh, other parts of the world. Wow. I'm, I'm really, who, I'm I, who knew? I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm yeah. amazed. Agco is a global company and as a joke that no one's ever heard of. Um, oddly enough, we are technically based, headquartered in North Atlanta, uh, but we do have large uh, factories and offices. So we have kind of have a dual headquarters in Europe. Uh, one of our largest brands is the Fent Machine. So they're the green tractors of Europe, mostly that have come to the US recently. Um, and so we have a headquarters office outside of Munich as well. And you mentioned, I think, in a post recently that you're trying to get back your incentive. Did mm -hmm. that, that went away. I'm, I'm curious to know why. 
Yeah, our salesmen, so our field staff uh, incentive, obviously we have Agco account managers that are in that bucket as well as the dealership field staff. We function very much like GM with the likes of a GM as the parent company and Chevy. So you have a Chevy dealership. So we have dealerships that sell direct to the farmer. And um, they pulled our salesman's incentive in um, 2017, I believe was the last trip we hosted uh, due to budget. Basically the trip went every other year, you know, roughly a million dollars spend. And it became a budgeting issue to have the trip every other year. We would ask for the money and then they would take it away. We would be fine for a year without it. And then we'd ask for it every other year. And it basically became a kind of a budgeting challenge. Uh, so it went away that year. Um, and then of course, COVID, as we all know, affected the last two. So yeah, part of my kind of messaging, not only as, a, as the student program and my projects throughout the, the courses, but also um, as a valid concern with Agco to bring back incentivizing our sales staff. If we're not going to incentivize them, our dealerships, like most car dealerships, sell other brands. And if uh, if I had a choice to sell their tractor or ours and one takes me to Hawaii, why, why would I make that choice? So looking for the data behind that, behind that need, um, but definitely to bring that back in front of the C-suite. Truly, I think it has fallen outside of their, their uh, memory or their, <laughs> their scope. And not only is it something our team desires to put together for them, but it is absolutely a must in terms of incentivizing our sales team. Are you hearing anything from the sales teams? Uh, are, are there are they pushing you to to try to reinstate this? Or is this absolutely? A, yeah. I would imagine. I spend yeah. a lot of time with our dealership, like director of sales level roles at our dealerships, because of course mm -hmm. they're bringing customers to our events, and we end up sort of standing around talking. And as I said, I, it, it seems so obvious to me. Why would I sell the Ford versus the Chevy, or even within the Chevy brand? Why would I sell you a, Bu a Buick versus a a GMC, if Buick is going to pay me to take on a trip, you know, take me right. on a trip, why would I right. sell the other? And right. I think we need to be smart about, you know, Agco, our, our business is a brand business. I mean, these guys, if they own a deer tractor, they want to own a deer planter. So it's a, it's a branded business. And I think we need to be smart about uh, recognizing mm -hmm. that with our audience. It's like being a Mac user. Absolutely. You want all Mac. Absolutely. It's exactly yeah. the same way. You know, yeah. kind of want to do yeah. all match. Yeah. And also, I'm sure there's an educational side to the incentive trip and the salespeople get to learn some insight and see, maybe see something that, you know, some of the equipment, learn something new. So and that's so valuable. Right. I mean, it is. But I think the technology has changed so dramatically between our last trip in 17 and now. I mean, if you think back to those trips, you know, the companies doing apps at that time were, were few and far between. Our, we were still waiting for our audience to catch up with smartphones, to be honest based wow. on where they live and you hear, you know, you hear within politics about the need for uh, cell service out in small towns, a data service. And um, so I, I think the time couldn't be better to bring back the, as you said, kind of understanding of, of the training as well as the trip itself and with travel coming back and everyone desiring to go on a great trip, it, there couldn't be more demand than ever right now to be incentivized and rewarded. On that note, Andrew, did you just do your 22, uh, meeting in march it's yours usually in march yes that's correct we, and, we were just a few weeks ago we, we completed our 2022 conference and congrats. how was attendance yeah congrats so um attendance uh we actually let's backtrack a little bit we actually held our conference in 2020 in right march, uh, as the pandemic was really breaking out wow in fact in fact we were in the middle of our conference and the wednesday of that conference we were on monday to friday the state of California shut down. 
Oh boy. So we were in the middle of our conference. And at that point in time, about 25%, probably a little less of all of our attendees and participants showed up, mm. which we understood, but we, we pushed forward because we got direction from the university at that time that, um, you know, we could um, still be safe, that there wasn't exactly, you know, a imminent threat, even though that obviously changed. Um, uh, and we pushed forward and, and we were very lucky enough in 2020 to actually come out of the conference without a reported case of COVID. So um, we put a lot of precautions in place before there were any kind of um, safety measures being um, given to anyone. So, uh, so we, we felt like we were ahead of the game there. So when we came back in 2022, um, we expected a much more intimate, um, smaller group of, for our conference, because obviously the Omicron was um, kicking up at the beginning of January. So we had some international participants that were more cautious, um, obviously domestic um, participants that were also um, still wary about being in, in public spaces. Um, but uh, I would say we probably had a little bit more than 50% of our normal attendance, which I felt was pretty good um, being that we're still in this pandemic mm -hmm. mode. Um, but what it created was a lot of excitement about people being back in person mm -hmm. and uh, just being able to create that, that network and community, which is really one of the strengths of our conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not a real push to give them something new. Let's make sure we keep them engaged because people are coming more naturally engaged, right, than they were two years ago, that, that desire. I came home from a conference just last night, and it was truly the first time in the last two years that, and I've traveled, as you've heard on, the, on our course calls, I've traveled the whole time, and this was truly the first meeting where it was at absolutely normal and people couldn't wait to get back to as you say sort of standard networking right 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 it's great for us i mean we should enjoy this ride for just a little bit because for just a little bit we don't have to you know do something to act right exactly exactly <laughs> lauren i wanted to ask you you have agency experience you have been with adco for 10 years you said why pursue a master's? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I jokingly told Candy, the administrator of the program at the beginning, um, you know, I get the MPI emails to be candid. They're quite frequent. I don't always get a chance to read them. And for whatever reason, I read this particular email um, and it kind of jumped out and I clicked on the link, which as I said, is sometimes rare. And when I got to the course, you know, in reading about it, I knew San Diego had a history of uh, hotel-based uh, training and support. I worked on behalf of IHG for years, and so I was familiar with kind of Orlando and SDSU as um, HTM, you know, hospitality and tourism. But when I read it, and I, I knew in the back of my head that my company will pay for this type of schooling, and I know I'm lucky in that uh, in that way amongst our course, um, I kind of thought, why not? And when I spoke to Candy, you know, I've thought about doing an MBA for years, and to be honest. I've never had the time. And all of a sudden, after a slow 18 months, you go, why didn't I do it then? But, you know, it's too late <laughs> right, at that point. Right. But um, when I when I spoke with Candy, she said, let me stop, you know, because I called her and said, I have a couple of questions, you know, why should I do this? You know, what point in my career and the way their description reads, it says um, sort of early to mid career, um, 10 years in, of, of which I have double, and then it gives a salary reference of which I've surpassed. And so I, I asked her candidly, I said, Candy, why would I, why would I do this if I'm kind of beyond what appears to be your target audience? 
And she said, let me stop you. Let me guess. You're mid-career, want to know what you want to do next. You've been at your company 10 years. You're in a manager level title, struggling to get promoted beyond that. Your company doesn't recognize your role as strategic. They see you as a doer. They think of you as an admin, et cetera. And everything she said, I was counting on my fingers going, holy cow, like, do I know you? (laughs) Have you you talked to my sister? Have you been in my head? (laughs) Because everything that I kind of complain post-work to my sister who's in a similar industry uh, is exactly what she said. I didn't know what was next. I didn't know if I'm going to be the detailed doer forever. At what point will Agco recognize this role? I mean, I manage more than 50% of the marketing North America uh, spend. I have a team of two, two other people. Um, and so we have a massive workload, massive financial impact, but that's not seen as strategic within our com- company at all. It's very much seen as what event is next, do it, get it done, go home, you know, do it well, of course, which is the obvious. So it was exactly as she described. And I really, the first, especially our first two courses on um, kind of the readings on leadership and the marketing courses um, were truly perfect for what I needed to hear kind of mid-career is, are you a good leader? Are you, are you what you think you are? Where are you headed next? How do you make an impact with that within your company? So it's truly been um, way more big picture thinking than I expected and way less just sort of book learning. Yes, yes. Agreed. Did you find uh, find out any surprises about yourself when you first started this course and you started to uh, <laughs> uncover things? What, what did you learn about yourself that's new? That those courses were even more applicable to my marriage than my work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't take that with the fact that I just told my husband he's been out of town six months, but uh, he didn't run away. Um, Are you sure? Well, true. No, truly, <laughs> truly, you know, I've always considered myself, I'm cl- clearly a leader. I have no problem talking. I've been a leader since third grade when my teacher told me to be quiet. And that has never been this sort of issue as to kind of getting people to follow and and the roles I've had, people have learned, you know, taught what I've learned and, and, and managed kind of coordinators for most of my career, but was I doing it well, I guess was the question. And just because people like you and they work for you, doesn't mean you're a good leader. Um, And so I spent a lot of time really thinking about communication style, leadership style, as I said, both at home and at work. Um, and my papers, I ended up basically crying through the first couple of my papers because they were very emotional in a sense of introspective, um, both work life, personal life, et cetera. And, you know, I came to a conclusion on there were things I needed to work on. And just yesterday in the airport, talked with a colleague about, you know, have I made improvement in some of those areas? So it, it really, the first couple of months, I wasn't prepared for as emotionally I guess, taxing, but also learning that they would be. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. Andrew, why? Why? Um, What's the big why? What's your why, Andrew? There's always a why. There is always a why. Um, uh, In some aspects, very similar to Lauren. Um, The timing just worked really well. I mean, again, it it really was the MPI email that actually uh, got me to open Really, uh, but the timing of the pandemic really actually helped a lot too. Um, I was already, you know, cooped up in my in my house, already spending a lot of time in my head um, about what's you know what's next for me. What do I really want to be doing for the rest of my life? Um, do I want it? Do I want to stay where I'm at? Do I want to do something? I, I did not know, um, and uh, I, you know, I, I went. I turned to my wife and said, 
there's this program that that is really actually about meeting and event management and not like HTM and hospitality. I said, you know, I've never really thought about actually going back to school this late this late in life. Um, but um, I don't, you know, all the things that I've learned have been on the job. I have a, I have a communications degree, a bachelor's degree in communications. So all my business experience, all my leadership experience, all of that has been on the job. So I had real no basis other than my experience for a lot of that. So I was intrigued, um, you know, that aspect, also being able to directly network with colleagues and peers um, that are also in the, uh, you know, in the meeting and event industry. And so I came into the program after talking to Candy with a very eclectic experience background, because obviously, as, as I've told you, Anthony, before, I started in entertainment events. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not currently doing that right now, but what the program actually has lent itself to is to really narrow down and create focus for me on what I'm really passionate about. And I am truly passionate about entertainment events uh, and creating that immersive, interactive customer experience. And while I have taken a lot of that experience stuff and applied it to the conference I just had, for me, um, while I do have passion for what I do and 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 I can see how it, it's serving my my attendees I definitely have a more creative spirit and I need to be able to use that in what I do daily mm -hmm. um, and for me, me um, the program has helped me identify the culture that I kind of want to be in and create the leadership styles that I, I would prefer to be under because I have not had a great track record of being under good leaders um, and that has been a struggle for me. Um, and just, again, like I said, to identify um, my next path and where I'm going. I'm, re I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, at the very first uh, meeting that we had, we were paired up and Andrew and I were paired up together. So we had an opportunity to get to know each other from the very get-go. And you talked about this, that very first meeting about what you really want to do. And so to see the progression and to see that you're really uh, pursuing it with more, uh, it doesn't feel like a pipe dream anymore, what you're pursuing. It feels more intentful and real. So good for you. That's, that's great. I think th this process has helped that emerge. Absolutely. I, I feel that um, it's been a, a key to me making progress in that. And I feel like the program between our mentor coaches, our actual mentors has really helped support that as well. It's, it's encouraging us on a, on a very you know, personal scale to really discover what works for us and what we wanna have work for us. Andrew, it's interesting you mentioned that. When you, if you recall on our last day in, in California, the first week of, course, of our course in August, that they had the alumni students come back and, you know, they stood on stage and told us how great it was. And of course we knew they weren't going to bring back the alumni that hated it. <laughs> so it was easy, to, easy to assume that they were going to bring back people that loved it. But what I found so interesting and they were varying in age substantially, you know, probably 20 years age difference between those students. Um, every single one of them said how emotionally great it was. And I, at first I kind of rolled my eyes as an East coaster of like, oh, these California fruitcakes, you know, they, they're so uh, hippie <laughs> and they're talking about how great it was. And it wasn't six weeks into this course where I said to myself, I know what they meant by saying you will be a different person when you come out of this class. I was that a surprise to you, Andrew? 
Um, you know, honestly, I didn't know that that was going to be the case as well. Um, I, I, I came into it much more, I think, from a, a clinical point of view, but easily attached myself to the emotional um, direction mm -hmm. that it was taking us, because that, that emotion is what drives us to do the things that we do and, and become the people that we're going to become. And it's really made me think about not just my professional career, but as, as Lauren put it, but in her personal life as well, and my interaction mm -hmm. and my communication, um, mm -hmm. and just the empathy that, that really should be across all parts of our life. I can't agree with you more. I mean, my partner is on this line listening to everything that we say right now, D'Angelo. But one of the things that I felt I was learning was not only how to be a better person at the office, but at home. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I believe I said to my coach, I don't want to turn D'Angelo into a monster because, you know, I get aggravated and I get stressed out and I get um, nasty at times, and I needed to pull that back a lot. And so uh, I can't agree with you more. It's helped. I think I, I also realized during the pandemic, you know, I live in Atlanta where traffic is a thing. And I used to use the drive home, I think, as that let it go, not take the stress of the office or the, you know, the business trip and the flight home all out on my partner. And all of a sudden, now my partner's four feet away in the kitchen. And I, it was kind of catching up and he works from home and it became a, I didn't have anywhere to let it go. So I was still wound up from work the minute we were interacting as opposed to having 30 minutes of whatever podcasting and music on the way home. And um, that kind of caught up with me that I was, you know, while we talked about work more, which was somewhat interesting because I was kind of bringing the work home more, uh, it wasn't always a good thing, you know, and he was finally saying, if you complain about the same person or the same thing every day, do something about it. So. It's and been I, interesting to, if I may, it's been interesting to watch this journey. I'm not, obviously I'm not in the program, but to watch it from an outsider standpoint. Um, and I, I'm really impressed and I really wish that every aspect of education was approached this way, because I, I think it would help our youth so much, but it's been really wonderful to see the subtle transformations happening as you know, Anthony's gone through this and I've known him, you know, been blessed to know him a very long time and call him my good friend. Um, so I, I love hearing about how it has affected you more in, in, in an emotional way, in a personal way. Do you, I mean, we're all of similar age groups. Do you think our 20-something uh, cohorts are feeling the same thing or do they not necessarily have the aged experience under their belt <laughs> that we may have? I have a I have a, a thought, Andrew. Though I'd love to hear what you think first, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I certainly think that um, you know, obviously, as as the group we are here, you know, we have a lot more experience, honestly, personally and professionally in the world. So we have a lot more to draw on. Uh, I feel like they're still developing in ways and finding out who they are. And, and obviously, some may know exactly who they are. But this this program obviously changes you or makes you really look at what you thought you wanted versus you know what you do want. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, certainly we are going to have different perspectives of the world and our lives. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm married multiple times um, with, you know, I have, I have a couple kids um, and a lot, you know, some of the people in the program don't have that, mm -hmm. you know, experience or, you know, the life experiences that, that we 
we do. So they're going to automatically have different perspectives on on how this program is assisting them and, and how it touches them. Because, you know, it calls to, uh, you know, we've, some of us are workaholics and, and, the, and the fact that we should really be able to take some time for ourselves, you know, really rang true to me, especially, you know, during the pandemic. And so I've, I've made a point of you know, making sure that I'm committing more time to myself. Mm -hmm. um, whereas a younger person may be like, I, I know they're all up for the adventure. They're trying to squeeze as much as they possibly can in. Um, so I, I feel like while we have similar experiences and similar paths, they're, they're going to be, their perspective is going to be a bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think I would have been ready for this even 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I would venture to say I'm probably the oldest one in the cohort. I'm just going to call myself the oldest one. In the <laughs> I cohort. think you already admitted it. I, I think I am. Yeah. Uh, but I would say that I, what, what struck me was in that first week, when we were asked to self-reflect and somebody raised their hand in one of our uh, feedback sessions live and said, I've never self-reflected before. And it was a younger person. And I thought, oh, wow, wow. I mean, that's interesting. I think I've been self-reflecting my whole life, but you know, we grow up differently. I was amazed by that. And I think that probably there's more focus on pleasing others still and getting good grades and and making a mark rather than investing in self and mm -hmm. you know feeling confident enough to say this is for me you know it's mm -hmm. you know i mean i've screwed up a couple of the tests believe me oh quizzes. i still want the grades though i have learned i am uh, still an annoying student <laughs> I, I am too I, I have to admit it but i feel like i'm able to you know just yeah. sort of sit back a bit and say you know this is really for example when we when we had to do three more papers after the holiday you know we're sort of in a transition period with yeah. the school and so our schedules are a little messed up and and i i thought well yeah sure i can understand that that we don't really need to do these but don't have to we don't have to right but this is for me right i mean mm -hmm. and and i'm paying this money i was gonna say and most of our cohort are paying right so i felt obligated to myself to do it mm -hmm. uh and i imagine that you two feel the same way, even though, Lauren, you just admitted you didn't have to pay. Well, yeah, I mean, my company is paying all but a few, uh, all but like a thousand bucks, which is great. And, you know, it's funny you bring that up is because when we were on in California and a cup, I was first of all shocked how many people were paying out of pocket with loans, et cetera. I assumed there would be more, especially of the older group who were being sponsored in some way. Um, so one, I commend those students because it is a massive investment. And two, um, I was surprised how many people were not in active hospitality roles, you know, and I may not remember all the names, but, um, you know, coming in as a, a mother of a couple of kids and sort of restarting a career and that this was your first investment back in your career. I was impressed. And I think that if, I'm hoping they get, are getting the same emotional and school benefits that we are. What about you, Andrew? Um, I, I'm, uh, you know, paying for the program myself. Um, but uh, you know, an investment in myself is is never a bad thing. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, I feel like um, it, it, in this case, it's you know it's a small price to pay for you know pushing myself to, to go in a direction they want to go. Mm -hmm. um, I was not doing that 
before obviously before I joined the program I was I was pretty much you know doing what I had to do to kind of get along and, and I was getting obviously very frustrated and very down on that um so you know taking the effort to to get into the program and uh you know make it worth my, my while mm -hmm. is is obviously extremely important to me and I'm making sure I'm maximizing everything I can out of, out of the program um and and I feel like you know I'm doing that and each each class that we've taken has has opened up an entirely different train of thought and so kind of trying to bring it all together and and keep adding on to that has been really uh interesting um especially since uh, as, as i mentioned in um, our last zoom class i, I have a, a secret secret project yes that I you do on. you got us all very curious <laughs> yes. about the secret project i, I know I'm, I'm 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 excited to to get some people and get some feedback on it because uh, it's definitely going to be a unique event. Yes, uh, the it's, uh, Andrew's making those who look at his uh, his proposal sign an NDA. I want to so, sign up. I know. I think he's got a line already, a, a waiting line already. I, 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 do, I, I do have a number of people who've, who've said that they'd awesome. be willing to, to sign it, but I, I have no problem actually adding more of my cohort to it. I didn't want to take into, I didn't want to assume that everybody sure. would want to sign it. So, but what? certainly getting the feedback of, of everyone in the class and our cohort only helps me. So, I'm excited about getting feedback from from all levels because I what I found on the um, course when we were out there in August was uh, that surprised me the most, and maybe I was closed minded before that. I don't know. Was um, I knew I would learn. I knew I would have things to share with others. I was shocked how much I was getting from those who hadn't even had jobs in our industry before who were right out of school, right out of the hospitality and tourism program um, and had amazing insight on more than what I assumed they would have, which is kind of the next generation of, of workers and technology. And mm. I was shocked how the 20 something, the young twenties were, were giving me awesome tips and feedback and things I hadn't thought about, about those sample events and things we did when we were on site. Can I ask you a question? Do you think, or have you found that your reaction to that feedback is it different now having gone through this course than it would have been prior? Maybe. Um, I mean, I could see it on site. I, I even commented then that I, and part of it, the conversation with Candy was me saying like, am I going to learn in this class if I'm the sort of more seen on the more senior end? And that has surprised me of how much I've learned from those who were not as quote senior. Um, yeah, I'm probably more open to it now than I was, what was that, six or eight months ago? But at the same time, I think I did recognize it even same there because we talked about it. But what has changed in my head, I think in the last year, is um, the statement I would have said before that was sort of, you know, everybody complains about the millennials and now the gen whatevers and how they're going to ruin the corporations. Who's going to run these companies and these kids only want to work three days a week? You know, everybody complained about the young workers of being lazy and not motivated. And what I've seen is a massive shift in the last, I guess, two years since this pandemic is they want to do the work. They want to do it well. They want to do it the most efficient way possible. Um, want to be happy while they do it and want to take the time off that they're, that they are given and earn and whatever. And what is wrong with any of those things? Nothing. Nothing. Why are us stodgy fifties and sixties saying these quote kids Right. Are ruining corporate America. It sounds to me like I'm thrilled that I'm going to have another 20 years with them coming up at the mm -hmm. helm. Of right. It's that old, uh, they have to pay their dues, you know, idiom that we all Why? buy into. I know it's crazy. 
we and we have to stay with the same separate, company right, forever. Right. We have to stay even though they stink and they have terrible bosses, as right. Andrew mentioned. Why? I, I know, I, you know, I'm for one, I'm really pleased to see this great resignation happening. I think yeah. it's the comeuppance has been a long time in coming. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've had some bad, bad bosses. Oh, Andrew, you mean the one that got, <laughs> went to the attorney general to sue? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would count. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just the idea that people are hesitating to go back to those places makes me feel a little better. Yeah. So what about this idea of being a strategist? I brought this up on a, on another SDSU call, uh, and uh, it didn't really get very far in the discussion on, on one of these podcasts. Uh, do you think that a meeting strat the 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 uh, the goodness I just lost my train of thought I do that all the time <laughs> the position of of a uh, meeting strategist is on the horizon and something that that meeting planners with the proper credentials can aspire to do you think there's another level yeah, I can go. Um, yeah, please, because you you did I, mention it earlier, which is I why I want to bring it up. Don't think there's ever going to be that as a role um, in corporate sort of corporate America, as I've seen it with the likes of the big sort of five in Atlanta, Home Depot, Coke, IHG, whatever. Um, I do think it's becoming more of a part of our roles. Um, I do think. I know Agco, for instance, I think is still a number of years away from that, from truly understanding. A strategic meetings, you know, plan for your department versus just a jump, react, and do it. Um, and not only, and then sort of thinking about meetings as how they truly impact the company, not just as a spend. I think that's been the biggest shift I've had to make within Agco is that we, yes, we are an OPEX spend. Of course, we don't make money. We don't, we're not an association, et cetera. Um, and we spend a lot of money. Um, yes. But that live events, in-person events, and even some of the virtual events um, make the company money as a net result. And I think that was the one thing I told Candy when I signed up for this program that I hoped to walk away with more information on. And I think we're just now getting into it with our data-driven decisions class is uh, the ROI of events. I've spent 20 something years in this business and everyone asks and no one has the answer to what is the ROI of live events where to, what events to have, what events to go to, what to, you know, spend on them. Um, I don't think that answer actually exists. I think there are ways to go around that answer and just sort of prove to your company that it's valuable, but I truly don't think there is a, is a, an answer to the, you know, how much should you spend a year out of your marketing budget mm. question on live events. That's my take. Maybe it's because I don't know enough yet, but, um, I just don't think it's that straightforward of an answer because I think it impacts so much of the sales cycle and the marketing, you know, planning and the strategy of the of, of how we go to market. So you do in within Atco, you fall within the marketing ranks. We right? used to be under a marketing only team uh, a few years ago. They combined sales and marketing under the same VP, and then just in the last year, which has actually been quite fascinating to follow as we've been through this course. They did a, a strategy refresh of our company last summer uh, with a substantial reorg um, to kind of divide by brand. As I said, we're a multi-brand company. Mm -hmm. um, 
And now under each brand is a sales team and a marketing team. So I technically fall under one of those brands, but absolutely support all of them and also support our C-suite. And that's the, that's the breakdown within our team. I'm trying to understand. And I've spent a lot of time with my mentor, who's also at a large, uh, you know, fortune, probably, I don't know, 50 company. And um, understanding is that people understand all the different events you manage, even though you might only report to one boss and one section. So like my boss has no idea what we do for the C-suite. So there's this whole other piece of my, my job. Right. They have no idea what it is. And when I say, hey, I'm going to Brasilia next week, he, Brazil, he's like, wait, you're doing what? <laughs> why, why? And as well, the CEO has asked us to. And that's a huge problem because there's no that's one problem. with um, one look at what we do, touch how much we travel, that we're never home, et cetera. And, and that's literally what I'm going to spend the next year working on them with. Well, it's interesting that you fold it up to marketing, but you're really, you're considered a spend, not a, you know, you're not considered relevant to the marketing pull. And most of our events are sales facing. And then the, a lot of our events are C-suite management, board and directors and SLT, senior leadership team events. So yeah, we're in the wrong place. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we know it, everybody knows it, but nobody knows where to put us. We Can actually I, just have a customer experience department getting built which is where in theory, I think we belong. I think everything we do is a customer experience, whether my customer is an agco person attending a meeting, a dealer attending a meeting or a customer farmer attending a meeting, but that's not how it's being seen right now. Well, it's so interesting to hear how, and we've been saying this for years, how we're in an experiential marketplace. We've been saying it for so long and yet there isn't a lot of clout given to planners and you know there isn't a lot of um, distrust but but there isn't the the thinking that oh these people are really affecting our bottom line they're really adding to the bottom line instead of they're just an expenditure, and it, that that's hard to face when you know that experiences are really important to the buying process, especially now after learning it again. You know, um, do you feel uh, energized or? Um, uh, do you have the, 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 the information to go back and fight now after earning this degree, do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I sit right now, and maybe that's because we're halfway through, and maybe that's because we're in the middle of this strategy transformation, uh, a little bit defeated by it and a little bit energized by it. Like I'm excited mm. at the idea of it, but do I think it'll actually, that they'll recognize it for what it is? Nah, it still feels a ways off. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a new CEO as well. There is big change coming. I mean, every week we're on calls about massive change coming. Uh, of many of those changes are coming out at meetings that we produce, you know. Um, and I will never say that our team isn't recognized for what we do and what we contribute and our CEO, I mean, to the CEO level, absolutely knows what we do and where we add value. Um, but sometimes that trickle doesn't make it all the way back down to head count, which has been an issue since I started. And, you know, it's sort of the, which has its other impacts of time off and, you know, life, work-life balance and all those things that come from being overworked and understaffed. Right. Goodness. What about you, Andrew? Do you see um, in the future the idea of a meeting strategist position being created or do you feel it's far off? Uh, I think it's I think it's still pretty far off. I think that the strategist part is is important for um, 
meeting planners and event planners to have in their in their toolkit, but I don't, I don't think it's going to break out anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly um, from my current position, um, we've obviously almost every business has been thrown for a loop because of the pandemic. Um, and as was our department and our event, being that we held our event, like I said, in 2020, um, but even though we held it and people were happy to be there, a lot of negativity came out of it just because of, mm -hmm. you know, there was so few presentations or sessions left. Um, so, um, and that just created a, a, a word of mouth that just wasn't serving our conference. And so, uh, you know, we went virtual in 2021, which also didn't exactly serve our, our community base and attendee base because that networking and community and that in-person experience is really the core of our event. And so we've had to do a lot of strategy um, in a conference that you know, was 35 years old before the pandemic that pretty much was riding on its, you know, mm -hmm. uh, an even trajectory in that, you know, hey, you know, we're the, we're, we're the, we're the, you know, the premier assistive technology conference. We don't have to do a lot to people, you know, mm -hmm. to pull people in. Um, all of a sudden we were scrambling. Um, and why we're scrambling? Because, you know, we were continuing that status quo and not thinking about innovation, which I know has been a big, huge part of our, of our, of our, uh, our learning um, and, and how we can better serve um, the conference experience for our attendees. So now um, we've been doing a lot more strategy. We don't have a strategist, but it's a lot more internal strategy and a lot more putting together. And luckily right now, we're, we're, we're also trying to start looking at data. So our course in mm -hmm. data-driven decisions right now is kind of really key here at our department. But even from my, my the project that I've got for my capstone, um, having to build that entire business plan is, is going to be focused a lot, obviously, on strategy. Um, and, and how to make it work. So do I think that there's gonna be a, a specific strategic position for an, an, an events? No, I still think it's gonna be part of, of that planning part. Do you think that, by the way, it, it surprised me to read that the CMO position, chief marketing officer position is relatively new as well. Mm -hmm. you know, and so is marketing. We to don't even have one. You don't, even, you don't even have one, right? That's interesting. Um, how do you think, first of all, hybrid events, you know, they're still, I still say they're undefined and, you know, every company or association will find a way to incorporate it. Do you have a, a thought as to how hybrid might, might work its way into your event offerings? And do you think that will shine some light on the strategy part of our jobs simply because it will involve a different kind of strategy um i'll, I'll touch on this a little bit because we just like we just held our conference and you know having that question of you know do we go hybrid um even though the virtual conference while successful wasn't you know great right and um, and, and the value is not perceived to be the same correct right? Yeah. Correct. Um, so we were like, how can we um, strategize and maximize this audience that's out there um, in, in kind of a, a hybrid model? So we didn't um, create an, an actual registration attendee hybrid experience for our conference. But what we did do is we strategized, what can we do online for people who can't attend or are unwilling to attend to 
bring better awareness for our conference and drive them in the future to actually come to the conference. So we ended up live streaming one of our session rooms the whole time for free through our website mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a marketing tool to build awareness. Um, because we didn't think that, that one, if that was expensive enough to live stream mm-hmm. an entire session room for four days. Um, we have, normally we have upwards of, of 15 session rooms going at any single time for our conference. So you can imagine, we only had about eight going for this last conference. You can imagine the cost of live streaming just that much content. Um, and while the virtual conference, you know, all that co- that that content was recorded and created a vast um, you know, repertoire of, of content, um, that's not the that's not why people were coming to our conference. So um, so we created that hybrid experience, like like I said, to help draw people into the conference to see what they were missing. Do you um, do you think some of that? Uh content that's been created is still monetizable for you? Um, I mean, that's certainly currently another discussion for us. Um, some of our content is timely because, you know, new technology and new innovations are coming out all the time. And, and as we all know, technology that happened, that's announced today could be out of date tomorrow. Um, so it's some of it's still applicable, but some of it isn't. Um, so, you know, we are, you know, we're looking at possibly doing more recording at our conference and creating a package after the conference to try and create different revenue streams. Um, I mean, we're trying to, we're looking at a lot of different models and we're, and we're getting feedback and doing focus groups from our attendee base to get a better idea of what it is they really want to get out of the conference. Um, do they want more content because they obviously can't see it all if they come there in person right um or do they want to get more of that post event mm. hmm. that's all actually you? very interesting we had an interesting last two years in terms of the virtual hybrid thing we um we canceled a bunch of stuff obviously right at the beginning and we 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 realized our biggest immediate need um was dealerships being closed. I mean, if people can't get to a dealer, you know, you're not gonna buy a car you can't see. Or, right. You know, the Carvana concept is still, I think, a somewhat trust, you know, gotta be a trustworthy person to buy right. that car. Um, so we created a virtual showroom uh, online, which basically took us to shooting kind of 360 photography of all of our machines and then creating a, a virtual agco virtual showroom.com shopping sort of site where you can't buy, but you can see and look and uh, dig into the machines. So that was our first step. And we kind of got rewarded and recognized for that within the company because we did it quite quickly. Uh, and that was great. But we've realized our traffic now is next to nothing because right. the pushes are back open. You know, I right. think people are still not going to buy a tractor, buy, especially a five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar machine that they don't see or, right. touch or demo, et cetera. So we're toying with not even having that continue. Um, so there's that piece. And then we did obviously a lot of the business meetings uh, virtually the first year. Um, decent take rate uh, as everybody else had. We were excited about the Zoom world until we got tired of the Zoom world. Right. And then, um, so we then, you know, and I we, we, we didn't post all that content post live. So you still had to be live. So it was still somewhat timely. And if you couldn't make it, you couldn't make it. Um, but what we realized, we combined that with what we knew from the past, which was our conferences, we used to record everything and post all the decks and post all the videos. And we had like seven people that would look at them. So we right. stopped doing that. We stopped paying for all the, the equivalent of the live streams and records because nobody was looking at them. 
So now we're in this weird world of we're back open, we're back there. And given who our audience are, they're very willing to travel. They're coming from small towns. This has not been as impactful to them as it has been to the big city folks. And um, so we're back live. But the question then is, you know, are we, we still just that one day event? And I know one of our courses readings we read about talked about this sort of rolling event of mm -hmm. like the event technically happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but yet your, your content keeps rolling, moving, moving forward. And part of me said, wow, that's really interesting. And part of me said, holy cow, when does it end? What, right. There is no end. Right. We're such starting right. people that it stressed me out to all get out of what does this hybrid beyond I'm in the room and you're at home on your computer and we pay a live stream service beyond that what does hybrid actually look like I mean does hybrid end up meaning like I, I read an article about um Dreamforce becoming an ongoing event versus just whatever five six seven days mm -hmm. um I can't even picture what that looks like in our world at this point um so you know I'm struggling a little bit on what what hybrid in our world looks like now that our tra our travelers are so desperate to be back out. And you also said something earlier about bandwidth in some of the smaller rural towns. Mm -hmm. So it's that also obviously adds another layer of difficulty. Yeah, certainly. certainly. Yeah. You know, it's an it's an interesting thing. I think maybe some of those things that you rolled out will will be more timely again later. You know, it's sometimes just a question of timing. And uh, but I I, I wonder that too, because it seems to me that training education makes sense with a hybrid model, but obviously rewarding and recognition do not mm -hmm. giving people an experience. It still pales in comparison, but there are a lot of younger people, right? I mean, the Gen Z, we mentioned them earlier, they're coming up. Do you think that their, their, um, ability to interact i think it's interesting because partly they're so heavy on the technology and the sort of i want it now and i don't want to wait and i certainly don't want to always have to pay for it um but they also are the experience the world get to know people get to know cultures get, you know all those things that don't happen over in my opinion but then you right. add in this metaverse concept which we spent a lengthy period of time talking about at the conference yesterday I can't figure out what the future of sort of events looks like 10, 15 years from now, because we keep saying how important in-person is, but yet we're going to put on screens and talk to each other in meta world. Right. <laughs> so I may be either too old for this or been doing this too long to shift, but I'm not certain what the future looks like as desired by the 20s and 30s. It is an interesting question, isn't it? You have any thoughts, Andrew? Um, well, I think that, um, I mean, as, as most of my cohort knows, I also have a, a very high involvement in pop culture um, events and, and, and mm -hmm. events um, like Comic-Con and, and, and similar like. And obviously pre-pandemic, those, those events were ex extremely popular on almost all demographics and highly attended. And these, these attendees um, from Gen Z to millennials to Gen X, they are, they're all passionate about being there. And I can tell you that their virtual and hybrid models tanked a hmm. lot. Um, I'm surprised. I would have thought the otherwise. I yeah, they were attended, but again, it's about that personal interaction mm -hmm. and 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 those happenstance networking mm -hmm. interactions. Right. Um, and, and being just seen as much as seeing, being yeah. seen as much Correct. as even at a cost. I mean, yeah. substantial cost for those events. 
Yeah. It's also, there's a different energy to being there than being on camera. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause I, I, I did attend a bunch of them. I even, I even served as a panelist. I, I was even in costume for, for some, for some of these virtual events and that, you know, it's that direct interaction of just people who see you in your costume and get excited. Well, I can't see their excitement really in a, in a, in a mm. virtual space. And they can't see the 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 joy that that brings me that they're excited about it. And right. I don't think that that can be replaced in, in the current virtual. I truly model. think the virtual or hybrid model moving forward will focus more on training. Truly, class. I need this. I need to get a certification. I think the university system thing is maybe a strong um, element to it, where I can do it on my own time we've clearly all experienced that some students work on Sundays some students work an hour a night um I personally think for agco that's where the training lies we then run into the challenge of training for us isn't just in a classroom it's in a seat of a tractor so then right so well that's where the metaverse might come in handy (laughs) I guess I'm (laughs) certain we will play a part in that you know driving a tractor from your eye set whatever that thing's called but yeah I'm curious what it looks like down the road it is an interesting uh phenomenon that we're in isn't it uh and it's interesting that uh and i i'd like to start with you on this one lauren um the number of things that we have to know how to do and then with technology i mean we already had to deal with technology but now it's it's even more comprehensive uh do you feel like you're just constantly putting on new hats yeah, I do. You know, because of my range of experience, I mean, I, I spent my first job was in a large production company. As you and I talked about this a bit on site of when production was production in the late mm-hmm. 90s and early 2000s, when the more money you could spend on, on fireworks and lights and lasers and whatever. Um, so I had great experience there, became very familiar with AV, unlike, to be honest, a lot of my meeting planner friends my age or older. So I was very comfortable with it. And that was always kind of the position I ended up being the one sitting in the general session. Um, so I felt very comfortable in that world, you know, um, in the sort of food and beverage transportation, obviously registration and AV. Um, and then my gosh, when this, you know, all blew up and we had to become videographers and audio technicians, um, not where I want to spend my career, certainly. Uh, something we all had to learn. And as we commented just yesterday in one of our breakout sessions, um, we are truly expected to be the experts of almost everything Mm -hmm. that is around getting people in the same room together. I think it's somewhat unfair. I think it's somewhat uh, rewarding if you are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But where I have truly um, found myself struggling in the last year is, as Andrew mentioned, the technology turning over so quickly. Just when I kind of picked a a hybrid program, liked it, learned it, whatever, then they literally went out of business. And I thought, how did you go out of business in this whole thing? Um, so I would love to say, you know, that that is something I'm going to enjoy moving forward. But to, to be honest, it's not. It's, it's mm-hmm. I just, that's not where I want to spend my effort because what I thrive on is the in-person interactions, watching people enjoy the room, the experience that we built. And then as they're walking away, high-fiving you, telling me how great it is. Yeah. To me, that doesn't happen on a Zoom as people just bail at the last 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah. I know people who have left the, the industry because of that reason alone, that they, they're just not interested in the virtual world one bit. Uh, and I, I'd just like to comp- 
compliment you because you are one of the few planners who are aware and knowledgeable about AV. It's just so important. It's such an important piece. It's the most important do. piece, if it, you think. It is. People. It is. It's the whole point of being in the room together. Is right. So. And it boggles my mind that um, not only is there a lack of information and knowledge, but a lack of desire to understand. And I know it's a big piece, but it's, as you say, it's so important. It's such a big part of what you need to do that I don't I think, get why. I Please. think some of it is why AV is so expensive. If I'm That's honest. exactly As right. Meeting planners go, oh my God, yes, just sign the paper. That's We, we need this. Yes, you know, yes yeah. I need a screen, but I don't know enough to argue what type. Or I, yes, I need a projector. And you've sold me the Mercedes Benz of projectors. Right. I, I um, by no means, I'm an, an expert. 10 years ago, I probably would have said I was. But as you know, gear changes so fast. Um, and having an AV partner who truly that you trust, not just someone you enjoy working with or that produces a good meeting, um, that will raise their hand and say, you don't need that. Right. This, or I have a call with them after this right. to say, you don't need what you just asked for. Uh, and here's a better way to do it. Because no, no one can ever be the expert on all of those things. But yeah, I read a gear list and I actually sit down and say, what does that do? Good for you. Not, well, and when I walk in the room, you know, so I see so many meeting planners walk in and go, cute, a lot of road cases and like a lot of pieces of trust, but they don't actually ask what are those things, you know, hanging from the ceiling. Right. And what do they do and why do we need them? Right. Good for you. I'm Be really... friends with your AV, your AV producer. Absolutely. And that is, you know, being in that world as a producer, I see how, how clients are ripped off. I see it and it just irritates me. And it's not getting any easier or better. That's for Certainly sure. Not. What about you, Andrew? Do you feel like you put on a lot of hats? Um, well, luckily at our department, I actually have a technologies manager, manager who actually oh, handles all of the technology. Because you work for a wow. university. Well, not not all departments actually have that. But in this wow. case, I mean, our department is, is you know, we're not student facing. Um, you know, we, we do hold, we have an online certification course. We do have online webinars and trainings, but the main purpose of our department is to produce this event. And so our technology manager handles obviously all the technology for our office, but he also is highly involved in making sure that we have the technology in place for our conference. And the strange thing is, is that in some cases, you know, we're always making sure, especially since we're a technologies conference, that we're keeping in touch, obviously, with the current technologies that are, are the theme for a conference, but also the technologies to be able to present those technologies to our attendee base. And uh, not only that, but all the technologies that are necessary for our attendees who have disabilities to be able to fully participate in the conference. And because of the pandemic, one of our accommodation services um, provider um, was a unable and willing, you know, just not able to come out. He had been with the conference for a number of years. So we relied on our the, the subcontractor from the hotel and the technology for assisted listening devices for people who are hard of hearing was, was subpar. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. And even a, a massive technology company, you know, company, um, I, well, I just won't name their name. But we um, know who they are. But you're sure you know who they are, yeah. failed our conference right. in that regard i mean so much and so that failed said, a large portion of your attendees if that's correct and so much so that they're like you know what uh, we're, we are embarrassed because of course they don't know the technology either they subcontracted it out right yeah. 
Um, and they got an inferior product and they said, we're not making you pay for this. This was, this was absolutely horrible, Good. but the, the experience that that created, you know, it, it, it's too late. Be, yeah, it's too late. Right. Right. Now you have people who may not come again because they're, they had a subpar experience. They didn't really hear what was going on. Was it a translation system that you were using the headsets? Uh, it was, uh, this listening device was basically, uh, all, um, radio broadcast of the audio that was being said so they, I see. they so could it's... hear it better so they were relying on signals they were right relying on the signals that were overlapping because we have multiple rooms with multiple radio signals right. going and on. they didn't and they didn't have the tech the uh, experience to be able to notch those out a lot of extra complexity to your events that right yeah you have all the same issues the rest of us has have plus so much more yeah yes i mean it makes me laugh a little bit because most of us get a little curled up inside when we hear we need a ramp for a stage mm -hmm. because you know that adds it takes up space and and here it is you you have to deal with that and so much more yeah every every aspect of of what we do at our conference has to have almost you know every accommodation you can think of for, awesome. for, for, for disability. So we had, we had interpreters on hand, we had live captioning, we had assisted listening devices, we had a blind low vision tour of the hotel, we had um, guest assistance for, for blind people in our exhibit hall, anything you could think of, we, we had on hand to be able to assist awesome. our attendees. What do you think would be the, um, the net result if more conferences considered disabled uh, people as part of their diversity plan? I think I, I, I don't I think, see that happening. I, I think they're missing out on an audience. Mm -hmm. I think if they do not cater from the beginning a hundred percent to all people, that they're 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 missing out on on some some revenue and some revenue streams. Because if I you just, get if you get any of those communities, whether it be the deaf community or the blind community, highly involved in, their, in in your event or mm -hmm. your project or your your conference they are a community that talks a lot online and their word of mouth goes far and people will come in from all around the world just if 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 they're touting an event that is catering to them well handled yeah would you call them loyalists do they come sure. back over and over again right yeah. because they found something that is relevant to them right? Feels good to them right right and it's not easy to find relevance in in this area right and if you're treating them as equal which means you're you're trying to create the, the same experience that any normal attendee would be having, then you then you are making that much more attractive to them because they want to be seen as equal, not just inclusive. Right. And not as an afterthought. Yeah. Right. right. So, and that's that's one of the key things about our conference is when someone's developing a website or an online technology or any kind of technology, they need to think about that accessibility and from the beginning on the ground floor and not as an afterthought. So right. a lot of large corporations, they just do backdoor fixes, which are only really solving half the problem. SDSU has a has that technology within the Canvas protocol that we use, but it is not easy as an instructor to manipulate all that and understand how it works, how the out how it works on the outfacing side, you know. So more education is needed too. Uh, yeah, I, I agree there. Um, so Lauren, I'm curious, and you don't have to share, but, um, cause I'm so quiet. <laughs> no, uh, no, because, you know, Andrew made everybody sign an NDA, which was genius because now everybody wants to know what he's doing. It was really a genius <laughs> move. Do you care to share what your capstone will be about? 
Sure. Yeah. I teased a little bit earlier that uh, working on bringing back our incentive program. So it will be that. Yeah. It will be the incentive. Yeah. I mean, I, where I was messaging with uh, Terry today was just on the data piece, you know, to, to prove value of bringing back that incentive. I need basically seven years of sales data, if not more, right. but at a right. minimum from prior to our trip to the last few years without our trip. And what I think or fear might, not having seen this data, um, it might, might not. work in our against our favor is we had our best year ever in 2020. Everyone was at home. Your hobby farmer who owns land bought a tractor and uh, we had our best sort of small tractor year in our company history of 30 something years. And um, I fear that's going to work against what I'm attempting to prove because of the fluke that is the pandemic. Um, And because of the uh, supply chain challenges our sales have actually gone up. Our just lead time to get your machine has gone down. Right. You know, gone, gotten longer. So, but people have bought it to get it. You know, it was sort of the equivalent of I'm going to buy the masks before everybody else buys the masks or toilet paper. Right. Even though I didn't need toilet paper. Um, and so I fear those numbers may actually work against what is the reality of we need to incentivize our team. But on paper to the bottom line to the CFO, it's not going to look that way. Do you, do you know if the, um, the amount of time that it's taking to actually get the product, does that impact sales, the sales position as well? In other words, do they have to stay involved in that piece of business until the product actually lands in the customer's hands? I'm not 100% certain. I mean, I do know they track the machine from when it leaves India, China, Germany, wherever it's coming from, some in the US, um, until it's in our customer's hands. And actually an interesting thing we hadn't really talked about when we read the Experience Economy book earlier in the year about the kind of making everything an experience. One thing I think our company and this team that until just recently reported to me do really well is we have an amazing customer experience at our factory in Jackson, Minnesota. You can show up at the factory. You're told when it's coming off the line. You can literally watch it come off the line. You can be the last one to drive it off the line into the parking lot. You get a brick in the parking lot. You earn the you know front end tree. They, they tour you around the factory and all this, the day of your tractor coming off the line. So yes, the salesman is tracking it the entire yeah. way until it's in the customer's hands. And I was pretty proud of my team when we read that book that we you were take, literally doing exactly yes. that in this particular round. Yeah, I would imagine that that time is going to hurt sales. Yeah, you know, I because you, so. you, you have, And um, do you know that BMW has something similar to that in, in Munich? Yes, I've. Yeah, have you? Yeah, it's gorgeous, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. incredible. It's really, awesome. really, really, really incredible. What about you, Andrew? Um, sorry. Are you, are you want to share your capstone now? <laughs> it's very tricky, Anthony. Darn very, it. very oh, tricky. Yeah. Thought he might I've... go for that. <laughs> All you need to do is sign that NDA, Anthony. And I'll be <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> I think I, I think I might have a. a teeny bit of an idea of what you're doing maybe just a teeny bit i'm I'm sure you know where the basis of it is coming from Mm -hmm. just based on my previous experience but it is creating a a unique immersive interactive entertainment experience that's unlike any other that's been done and i love that you're doing it we all think of them we all have them in our heads we all think of apps we all think of things and i love that you're actually working towards doing it yes definitely um what about the courses now? We're, we're, you've mentioned uh, data-driven decision-making several times. We just entered this, this curriculum. 
I personally, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like trying to read Greek for me. It's putting those pieces together is proving to be really difficult. I, I actually started a business, uh, not a plan, but a business case, yeah. yes, case, and then scrapped it and did something else. Cause I just couldn't put it all together. Did you yeah, same. I'm sticking with my capstone solely because the way I'm looking at this whole course is if I've got to put these hours in, I want to kind of get selfishly get something out of right. it at the end. And as I said, I truly am going to sit in front of the CEO and propose this concept. But I think Andrew and I are probably the only ones that feel somewhat less, somewhat more comfortable or less stressed about this course than everyone else because we've spoken to our teacher about, um, I don't think we're going to be analyzing data. I think we're going to be talking about how that data needs to be presented. And to be honest, from our roles, none of us are data analysts. You hope your company has one. We did. I don't know if they've replaced him. But um, we're going to be given information that someone else has already gleaned. I don't think any of us in our roles are going to be given these massive spreadsheets of data to decide what has to be done with them. Outside of post-event survey feedback, we do have to kind of glean that information. Uh, I think what our teacher is trying to teach, or at least what I'm excited to learn, is how to present that to the C-suite, how to boil down what you've learned, what you saw, what you've seen in the data, or what someone's told you is in the data, to how it makes a change. You know, in my case, the sales numbers went down over the last five years. So why aren't we having an incentive? Well, I can't just walk in and say that. I have to say they went down by 5%. So in order to bring them up by 10%, we need to spend a million dollars, whatever the math may be. Um, so I'm hoping that the data that everyone's afraid of <laughs> is less scary and it's more of the conversation with the c-suite which all of us could use more practice in in my opinion yeah, yeah. for sure um and i'll just i'll expand on that a little bit i mean being that i'm using my capstone project for a business that doesn't even exist yet <laughs> so um that you know there's not the data that specifically applies to exactly what it is i'm doing so um that opportunity or problem is really that you know going to be behind the business case that I'm going to be putting together, uh, and I was a bit nervous about this um, mm -hmm. before I spoke. I spoke to our instructor, um, who was very clear and like you know it's going to be about the story and it's going to, it's it's really how you're going to be able to present this and convince someone to, I, in my case, put invest in more data. Yeah. So to to prove that this is a worthwhile idea. And I also have felt more comfortable the more I've read the data story, the book that we're reading, which at first sort of scared me, but I'm now about halfway through it and really enjoying the very simple way of stacking a story to present to an executive. And um, Andrew, I'm curious because I plan to do a good bit of sort of industry uh, research as well on data that exists outside of our company, one, in case I don't get what I need from my data teammates. And two, in case it doesn't show what I hope it shows, um, <laughs> but that industry data well before COVID clearly shows incentives drive, drive sales. And I'm assuming you're doing somewhat similar research in terms of experiential events and the value they bring and the money and whatever your desired impact is uh, as well, that it doesn't have to be data from your event. That it Correct. Can be it's, in fact, all the data that I'm going to be compiling for the business case would be external data. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or even experiential data that I've participated with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think is great. Uh, perhaps I should have spoken to our instructor, or at least to you, Andrew, before I, I put in my business case on Saturday night, because- Yeah, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. 
here's the thing. She also said that, you know, she, and I think I posted this in our, in our group chat that, you know, this is just kind of the, the, the you know, putting your toe in the water mm-hmm. this week so that she can see what you're thinking about. And she's going to give you feedback, which means you can change that and, and really adapt that yes. so that it's more what it needs to be. I've truly found most of our instructors have been that way. They're not here to tell us what the, whether your idea is right or wrong, because I went through a little bit of that in marketing, but rather um, how, your, how your idea might be heard, you know, mm-hmm. because they're outsiders to what we do on a daily basis, um, or how you can present it better, stronger, et cetera. So I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the feedback. I, uh, you just maybe, both of you might've convinced me to change mine. Oh, uh, that we'll was see. <laughs> no, but you know what? We're supposed I, to be more confident in your idea. I, no, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, what I'm doing is, uh, it's just not, a, it's not related to the events business at all. It's part of my volunteer work, and I think maybe I want to just pull that back and, uh, you know, get something more out of it, like you're doing, Andrew. Uh, I just couldn't honestly. I, I spent. I am not a data person. I'm a shoot from the hip kind of guy. And intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, it's hard. That, I struggled hard. with that sentence when we read through her lecture that said, you know, basically stop listening to your intuition and listen to the data. I was like, wait, I've been doing this a long time. I thought I was, you know, the subject matter expert. Aren't right. we supposed to be listening to what we know? That well, was a tough, you, tough listen for me. You know, and I got that wrong because I, I mean, I heard what she said, but then I read. Mm-hmm. about the uh, ne- you know the the necessity to be able to read the data mm-hmm. and you know put it to use so i just thought okay i'm just going to say that yes it's a, a combination of intuition and data but it yeah i was wrong that's not yeah, what I'm, she was I'm, looking for i'm curious about the rest of that conversation that we will learn because i think we all ex- assumed intuition and experience is what we need to be successful in this business. But I would imagine our 20-somethings are thrilled to hear that it is something they can learn and get without 20 years experience. There was that one article about, um, it was the Harvard Business Review article about the fact that humans should allow machines to make the decisions. And that blew me away. What, what is your take on that, that sentence alone? Uh, is that even possible? Is that really what we're striving for? Well, certainly from a from a, a sci-fi geek's point of view, I, I certainly don't need Skynet and Terminator happening. You know, I mean, you can't have machines, machines make decisions, all the decisions for, for the human race, because, you know, we have free will. And I don't, I don't think that would go over very well. Um, but at the same time, you know, while machines can do a lot of predicting and do a lot of analytical um, analysis, um, data analysis, uh, I, I feel like it still needs to be humanized. That data needs yes. to be humanized. Yeah. That's right. why I, under- I enjoyed that discussion board we had about that topic was, is our business intuition or data-based? And I think on one hand, we all are afraid to say it's not data-based, given that our teacher is teaching about data. But um, I truly think it's a mix. I do think data is going to play a bigger role in the next 10 than it did in the last 10. But I still think someone who has done, experienced, or been there before adds value, or at least I hope so, or why are we doing this? 
Right. So um, certainly that data is going to back up a lot of our experiences now. Correct. Right. Especially when you can have successful experiences. I think my biggest takeaway on the data has also been that there is more data than just the survey. I've always thought of our only sort of data is, did you like it or did you not? Did you, right. you know, which breakout did you go to and did you hate the instructor? And I'm loving reading that the quote data is so much deeper than that. It's how long they spent on it, especially on virtual. Did they bail out early? Did they communicate? Did they chat? Did they hashtag? Did they all those other things than just, did they like the event? Yeah, right. I think that you were right when you said that, you know, it's going to be really important in the next 10 to 15 years, just because the amount, the amount and types of data that's being collected is so much more than it has ever been. Right. And it's based on what we're doing now, what we're saying, which is a better indicator, right? Because to your point, Lauren, somebody might ask me, did I enjoy it? And I might say, yeah, it was okay. Thinking to myself, eh, it was not really that good because I don't want to offend, right? Sure, so sure. you get so much more real information from what it is we do. And that is one thing that'll bode well, bode well for virtual, especially where sponsorships are concerned, because then sponsors can see the activity of people that are in their space. Well, uh, and hopefully we'll solve the problem of what I said, which was the ROI has been the missing piece through my whole right. Life. Right, exactly, exactly. As a matter of fact, I did a virtual one last year and the, the client went back to the sponsor and said, no, you see, we, we played your ad 65 times over the course of four days and they were blown away. Of course, it was because we were broadcasting and we needed filler and that ad had to keep coming back in, but they felt like they yeah. got exposure, you know, and that's, it. yeah. So I've been given the sign that it's uh, time for us to wrap up, but I don't want to because this is probably <laughs> the, best, the most fun I've had in a long time. I've been wanting to speak with both, both of you. Lauren, I don't really know you all that well, but I, I've just become so impressed by all the things that you do and the fact that you've taken on the role. And please forgive this title as Mother Hen, but you kind of have, you know, you're the, you're the, you, you always come back to the group. Is that you calling me old? Because it feels like it. No, well, okay, listen, <laughs> I might just have to, because I feel a little bit alone up here. Um, Certainly. No, but you've just been so helpful to people and, and, you're, and you're, your responses are always so calm and mindful. And uh, I've just become a real fan of yours. So um, I just wanted to say that to you. And, Thank you and, very much. Thank you. Absolutely. And Andrew, we're like buds, right? Um, my buddy. Yeah, you're my, you're my buddy. Uh, I just, I'm just amazed at the fact that you're taking your plan all the way to the end of this. I'm really happy for you knowing the situation that you've been in and the fact that, you know, you felt a little constraint where you are. So, you know, congratulations and thank you for being open and honest about what it is you're doing and sharing uh, with the audience. One thing I can tell you about our audience is they usually listen all the way to the end. Great. Which That's is awesome. great. Awesome. So did you enjoy meeting Andrew and Lauren? I did. And I'm just so crazy, insanely curious about what uh, Andrew's capstone is going to be. Like, as soon as it can go public, I want to know, unless okay. he'll let me sign an NDA. He might. I'll let, I'll keep you posted though. Keep me posted. I, I have some some idea, but I, I won't let the cat out of the bag only because it wouldn't be nice. No. Um, they're really terrific, terrific yeah. students, and uh, just like all of the cohort, really great people, and uh, it's just an honor to be in this with them. 
quite honestly, and you know, learning from them as well. So that's it for today. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Please keep listening to us, and you know what to do about the stars already. I don't have to, you know, <laughs> go on too long about that. Uh, and that's it for us today. If you have any comments or concerns about anything you heard, please find us at bolada.com. That's b o l l o t a dot com. Uh, look for the podcast tab and leave your question or concern in the rectangle. Uh, that's it for us today. We're going to say goodbye. And uh, how about a goodbye from you? Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Stay engaging. Why don't you?